Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. So it's a question that's asked over and over at this time of year. Uh, husbands ask their wives. Wives ask their husbands. Um, parents ask the children. Sometimes, sometimes the children will ask their parents. It's a question that is, goes, just goes round and round and round for this whole month. Uh, Santa at shopping malls hear it like hundreds, ask this question hundreds of times a day. Anybody want to guess what that question is? What do you want for Christmas? Yeah, it's, uh, we, we, we want to do that. We want to give the gift that somebody would enjoy. Um, when I was a kid growing up, we would ask my dad, and every year it was the same thing. Dad, what do you want for Christmas? Good kids. <laughs> every year it was the same thing. Now, I don't know if that's because he never got it or, uh, or if he just wanted to keep the ball rolling because we were so good. I'm not really sure. I'm not going to go there. But um, that was one of my childhood memories. Another one is that I remember as a child, and maybe this is rings true with you. It seemed like Christmas was never going to get here. You remember that as a kid? Just like the, it, the month of December took a year. You know, it just, it wouldn't come. It wouldn't come. It wouldn't come. And one of the things that my parents used to do is give us these, um, they're called advent calendars. Anybody get one of those growing up? Okay. Yeah. You know what those are. Little cardboard thing. And each day of the, of December, you open another window and there's a picture inside, which Big deal. But then, then they started doing um, chocolate. Yeah, yeah. Now I'm talking, okay? Chocolate uh, calendars, and you'd open up. Each day, you got a bigger piece of chocolate. So that was really, really cool. Um, now, there's something new, and, and I brought one with me um, this morning. Anybody know what this is? Somebody knows. Young mothers around here know what this is. This is called the Elf on the Shelf. Okay, this is um, this is my granddaughter's. I'm borrowing it. Don't tell her because I'll be in big trouble if I'm going to slip it back before she finds out it's missing. Um, but the idea is that each day, mom and dad um, hide the elf somewhere around the house. And when she gets up in the morning, she has to go find um, her elf on the shelf. And you're supposed to name your elf. This is Wednesday. Everybody say hi, Wednesday. Yeah, okay. Boy, you guys fall for anything. Um, so this is Wednesday, and every morning my granddaughter has to get up and, and find Wednesday. And, um, and she hides in a different place every, every day, and um, it kind of helps her count down, count down. So um, really what this is is what I'm going to talk about today. We're going to talk about hope. And this is my little object lesson for hope. And he's going to sit. Oh, he sat there for first service. Come on. Stay. It's a symbol of hope because there's this anticipation that, that someday Christmas is going to get here. It helps me count down the days. And that counting down, that waiting, that hoping, that wishing, that's what we're going to be talking about. And we're going to be talking about it from the, um, from the book of um, Luke and in, in his gospel. And we're going to begin with a story of some hopeful people. Uh, their names are Zechariah. And Elizabeth. And it's interesting because Luke's gospel, he tells the story of Jesus, but he doesn't begin with Jesus. He begins with the birth of John the Baptist, the announcement of John the Baptist's birth. And, and so he starts the story leading up to the big story. And there's a reason for that. And it has to do with hope. When you were a kid, it seemed like Christmas would never, ever get here. But eventually it did. You know, no matter how long it seemed like it dragged on and on and on, eventually Christmas got here. But the first Christmas, they didn't have that anticipation. 
In fact, for 400 years, the nation of Israel had had no word from God whatsoever. And you back up and go, 700 years before this, the nation of Israel had pretty much fallen apart. They were no longer a player on the world stage. They had just, the kingdom had split in half. Um, the lower half got conquered. The upper half got conquered. They had invaders come through and, and occupy. Um, the Persians came through. The Babylonians came through. The Greeks came through. The Romans now were in charge. This people who had been God's people for 400 years now had been nothing but under oppression and no word from God. Absolute silence. No prophet. No speaking of God's word. And most people just gave up on this whole idea of a deliverer, a whole idea of a Messiah. But there were a few remnants. And Elizabeth and Zechariah were some of those few. Let me read you their story. If you want to follow along, Luke's gospel. And we're going to begin in verse 5. It says, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. And they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time of the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. And you are to call him John. But no, this is a famous John. John the Baptist. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord, their God. And he will go before the Lord in the spirit of power and spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. It's a story about hope. And what I love about this story and what you see throughout Scripture is when God moves on the grand scale, he also, he also moves on the personal scale as well. The nation of Israel were, were calamity. I mean, the whole thing had fallen apart. God had been silent. They're waiting. They're hoping. Many had given up. But, but on top of that, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they had their own personal thing going on. Their own loss of hope. And there's some things about them, particularly Zechariah in this story, that I think are things that will help us when it comes to hope. Um, you can't manufacture hope. You can't, you can't, you know, urge it up. 
It comes as a gift from God. But there are some things that you and I can do that can nurture, that can give hope a chance to thrive and grow. And Zechariah's example is perfect of this. There's a couple of them. So we're going to look at them this morning. First of all, that hope can grow when we choose faithfulness regardless of the circumstances. That we choose a faithfulness to God regardless of what's going on all around us. Luke begins by telling us a, bit, a little bit about these two. It says, Zechariah belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Now that means they were preacher's kids. Okay? Um, the, the descendancy of Aaron um, was all the priesthood. The priesthood all came from descendants of Aaron. So, so they were like, their dads were preachers. You know, their, their granddaddies were preachers. This was a long line, a long heritage of, of, of people very involved in church. But, but it wasn't just that. It says both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. In other words, these were good people. These were really, really good people. They, they could run for president and not worry about somebody finding a skeleton in the closet, okay? These were really, really good people. And not just by appearances, not just by appearances, but they lived genuine, faithful lives to God. That they were blameless, not only in the eyes of men, but in the eyes of God. Good people. And yet, and yet, they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. Good people. Doing everything right. In every way, living faithfully to God. And you would think, you would think if anybody deserves a kid, it ought to be this couple. And isn't it that the way we feel? That we feel like, you know, God, I've been serving you. I've been following you. And, and every, by the way, every believer, every Christ follower goes through these times, these seasons. And they might be short, they may be long. But there are those times when you ask yourself, why am I doing this? I'm doing all the right things. I'm being a good Christian. I'm, I'm following the Lord the best that I can. But I don't seem to be getting any payoff. There's nothing happening for me in this. I pray and my prayers don't get answered. I ask God and he's silent. And every, every follower, every believer goes through that time. And, and for, for, for Zechariah and Elizabeth, this is especially, especially hard because as, as much as young couples in our day pray for and long to have children, it was really, really big in their culture. To, to not have a child would mean Elizabeth was kind of looked down upon as just a little less of a woman because that was their primary role in that society. To bear children, to raise children, to, to bring up heirs. And she has been childless now. All of this faithfulness, all of this goodness. And if you ask her, so how's that working out for you? Well, not so much. And on top of that, on top of that, there's not just a cultural stigma to this. There's also a religious stigma. Because the belief is that God blesses good people. And, and God blesses really good people with children, that your children were a sign of the blessing of God. Where they got that idea, I have no idea. But, but they had this belief that this was this blessing, was a sign of God, that God was blessing you with children. And, and if you didn't have children, there must be something wrong in your life. There must be some unconfessed sin. There must be something wrong between you and God. God is punishing you. He's withholding this blessing from you. He's not giving you what you are asking for. And so it wasn't just the social stigma. There was the religious stigma of all of that. 
and they were good people. And maybe you're here this morning, and that kind of describes your situation right now. That you are doing your best, you're living as rightly as you can, you're, you're being faithful in your job, you're being honest in, in everything that you do, you're, you're, you're faithful and you're giving, you're faithful and you're wondering, why am I doing this? Because God just seems to not hear me, not answer me. It may be, it may be that you walked away from God because of this very thing. That you prayed and prayed and prayed and you never got the answer you were looking for. Or that you were living a good Christ-centered life and something horrible happened to you. And you just said, you know what, God? I'm done with you. And you walked away. And maybe this is your first time back in a church setting. And you've come because you need to hear this word. Because all of us go through those times. All of us do. And it's the choices that we make in those circumstances that really determine whether hope will die or thrive. Because it's in the midst of those circumstances that we make the choice. Will we stay faithful regardless of the circumstances? This is the way Paul put it in Romans 5. He says, endurance. Endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope. Endurance, he says, actually strengthens our hope. Their faithfulness, though God seemed to not be answering their prayers and they're well beyond the age of childbearing, still they remained faithful. And in there is hope. By the way, it's one of the reasons why baptism becomes so important. Because all of us go through those times of questioning, those times of doubt, those times that God seems so silent. And, and that faithfulness in baptism, what you do when, when someone takes that stand like we're going to be doing this afternoon... They are saying, I am settling this issue once and for all. No matter what the circumstances, no matter what may come my way, and I have no idea what the future holds for me, I am staking my life in Jesus Christ. I am going to remain faithful to him no matter what. And, and, and actually, baptism becomes that stake in the ground, that, that settled issue that no matter what else happens, I can't remember the day that I gave, first gave my life to Christ, but I remember the day I was baptized. Because it was that stake in the ground. And it became a turning point for my faith. And we need those kinds of things that keep us going and keep us faithful. Regardless of the circumstances. Because when we do, hope can grow. Hope also grows when we position ourselves in a place where hope can be nurtured and, and fostered. See, so often what happens with people... When they go through those kinds of times, those times of doubt, those times of questioning, they pull back. They withdraw. They withdraw from God. They withdraw from God's people. They take themselves out of community. They cut themselves off. And it's the worst possible thing you can do. Because what you need at that time more than anything else is a support network of other believers who can be strong for you when you're feeling weak. Who can have faith for you when you feel like you've got no faith left. And, and that becomes so important because Zechariah, even though they, they suffered this disappointment, they continued to remain faithful and not just faithful in their personal life. They remained faithful in ministry. This all happens because Zechariah was serving God in the temple. For all that was going on in his own personal life, he didn't neglect his ministry. His order was on duty and he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. Now, the way that this worked is there was a long, long line of Aaron's descendants. 
And, and they all, all the males served as priests before God. So they were all in divisions. And it kind of, it, it was a rotational thing um, because there were many, many divisions. And so his division time comes up. And, and then by the casting of lots, which they believed by luck that God was in that and he was chosen. This was like a once in a lifetime opportunity. And it happened because he's remaining faithful in his ministry. He's keeping himself in the place where he needs to be. And, and by the way, do you know Zechariah's name means? It means the Lord remembers. And I just wonder, and this is just conjecture on my part, but as they're casting lots and it comes up and everybody turns and says, Zechariah, it's your turn. I wonder if that registered at all in his mind. Because what they were saying is, the Lord remembers. It's your turn. I wonder if it crossed his mind at all. The point is that he put himself in a place where hope could thrive, where hope could be underscored. He put himself in those kinds of places. Because see, hope is not something we mass produce. It comes as a gift from God. It comes out of our relationship with God. Lloyd John Ogilvy put it this way, hope is a gift of God that produces a confident, unshakable trust in his faithfulness and a vibrant expectation of his timely interventions in keeping with his promises. Because he continued in ministry, he was in a place where God could speak to him. Because he was faithful in his ministry, he was in a place where an angel could speak to him. Again, Paul put it this way, the scriptures give us patience and encouragement so that we can have hope. May the patience and encouragement that come from God allow you to live in harmony with each other. What he's saying there is what you need for hope to grow is you need to be in God's word and you need to be with God's people. Because that's putting yourself in a place where God can speak to you. It's putting yourself in a place where you are open to God's moving in your life. I I had a conversation just this last week with someone. Family's going through a very, very difficult time. All kinds of piling up problems. And and, and they said to me this. They said, you know, the only thing that keeps me going is Sunday morning sometimes. I am so overwhelmed and stuff just gets piled on all through the week. And the only thing that keeps me going is, is Sunday mornings when I come with God's people and my friends and we pray and, 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 and the word of God is taught. That that's the only thing that keeps me going sometimes. And, and when I get like middle of the week and I start to go downhill, the only thing is I can expectation of Sunday morning. Because it's the one thing that, that gasses up my tank and keeps me going. And it's true. It really is true. One of the things that will help sustain hope in your life and nurture hope in your life is putting yourself in those kinds of places. Being there where God can speak to you. Thirdly, hope can grow when we're willing to believe with questions left over. So the scene is that Zechariah moves in to this holy place. He's right outside what's called the Holy of Holies. And he's the only one there. Everybody else is outside in, do, in, in prayer. And he is there and he's there to offer incense. And while he is there, it says, well, Zechariah, when Zechariah saw the angel, he was startled and gripped with fear. Now, that's what happens when you see an angel. Okay? And, and in fact, it goes on. It says, the angel said to him, do not be afraid. Now, if you look through the Old Testament, through the New Testament, everywhere throughout Scripture, when an angel shows up, that's the standard greeting. 
Okay? When an angel shows up, the first thing out of their mouths is, do not be afraid. You know why? Because when people saw angels, they were afraid. afraid. Yeah. Because angels are scary things. They're scary creatures. They're just, they're, they're not, you know, we, we, nice little dainty angels with the little halo up front and their gentle, gentle wings. That's not a Bible angel, okay? Bible angels were scary. They were speaking on behalf of God. This was overwhelming to him. He is gripped with fear. He is just scared to death. And the first words out of the mouth are, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. See, because the angel's bringing him good news, but he is terrified. And he's a good man. Imagine if it was you. I mean, you'd fall down on your face and start confessing all kinds of stuff, you know. But he had nothing to confess. He was a good person, but he was gripped with fear. And the angel says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. The Lord has heard your prayer. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. And you are to call him John. All these years of waiting, all these years of hoping, all these years of praying, wishing, wondering what's going on. And the angel says, your prayer has been heard. God has heard. Wouldn't you like to just hear that? Not even that my prayer would be answered, just that I could hear sometimes, your prayer has been heard. Your prayer has been heard. And your wife is going to bear a son. And you will name him John. And by the way, it's not just your prayers, but it's the prayers of the whole nation. This remnant of hopers, these people who refuse to give up on God. It says he will bring back many of the people to Israel, of Israel, to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. He's going to lead the way. Why? Because so many people had given up on this idea of a Messiah. So many people had lost hope. They needed someone to come and prepare the way. And that was going to be John's ministry. That he needed to come and tell people there is still hope. There is a Messiah coming. And he's coming soon. I'm here to tell you. And, and, and not only is this an answer to, to Zechariah and Elizabeth. This is an answer to the prayers of the people of Israel. Like I said, when God moves on that grand scale, he also moves on the personal scale at the same time. And if you're here and you're wondering, does God really care about me? And, and, and does, he, does he understand what I'm going through? Does he even, is he even there? The answer is a resounding yes. Yes. God cares about your situation, your circumstances. So he's kind of a little taken back by this. And so he says, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man. And then he gets really, really tactful. And my wife, men, is well along in years. <laughs> yeah, just, I'm an old man, but my wife, she's, well, she's well along in years. See, he, the thing about hope, and, and here's the deal. We think, we think that we can't have hope if we still have questions and doubts. And that simply is not true simply is not true. You can, ha- you can have hope, you can have faith, and still have questions, and still have doubts. What Zechariah said, he's asking the questions. He doesn't understand how this is all going to work. In fact, in fact, he says, how can it be? I am so old, and my wife is so well along in years. He said, you know what? We have been praying this prayer for a long time. This is all well and good, but I think it's just a little too late, don't you? 
I mean, we prayed through our 20s. We prayed through our 30s. We prayed through our 40s. We even prayed through our 50s. When we got into our 60s, we kind of thought maybe we should give up praying, but we still kept praying. And now we're well along in years, and I am old, and now we're going to have a kid? It doesn't seem possible. How can that possibly be? We have been praying all this time. See, here's the thing with hope. Hope is not an either or. It's not either you got it or you don't. Hope, hope is a living, growing, breathing thing. It grows. It ebbs and it flows. There are times that you have great surges of hope and there's times that everything seems hopeless. And you feel in those times when everything seems hopeless that I have no hope, but you can still have hope even when it seems hopeless. And that's what's happening for Zechariah. And what I love, what I love about this is he is caught, and this is, what you, this is where we live when we live in hope. We live in the, in the place between hope revealed and hope realized. And there's a time span in there. What's happened is something now has been planted in his heart. And it's still, it's still a ways off. In fact, we're going to come to that in a minute. It's still a ways off, but something of hope has been revealed to him. And it's not happening yet. It's still down the line. And that's where most of us live when it comes to hope. A hope revealed, a belief that God has shown us something or God is doing something in my life, but I don't see the results of it. And it's been a long time. And what I love most about this story is even with his questions and even with his doubts and all of this, the angel doesn't take back the promise doesn't take back the promise. Even though he's got the doubts, even though he's got the questions, the promise remains true. But what he does is, he does something. And it leads to the last one. That hope grows when we begin to realize God's timing is much better than our own. See, hope is really about timing. That's what it comes down to. Hope is a matter of timing. And the longer time goes on, the harder it is to hope. Because what happens is that hope fades when our experiences cloud our expectations. When, when our disappointments get in the way of us thinking anything could ever be better. When our past failures make us feel like we're disqualified from anything good from God. And and that's what happens. That hope begins to fade. And the longer the time goes, the more it begins to fade. And what the angel says is, no, it's just a matter of timing. It's just a matter of time. He doesn't take away the promise, but he does do this. Um, Actually, back up a little bit. Here's what happens. He asks these questions. And and I don't know how you you read the Bible when you read it, but I, I tend to read it with a little bit of humor. Okay, so he asks these questions. How can this be? I'm an old man. Uh, my, my wife is well along in years. And, and, and how am I going to know? Give me a sign. How, how am I going to know this? And, and I got to believe, you know, it's not recorded by Luke, but I got to believe, you know, Gabriel's sitting there going, you're kidding. <laughs> you're kidding, right? I mean, I'm an angel. Okay, you know, I'm standing right here in front of you. What kind of sign do you need? Because that's what he does. He says, I am Gabriel. Okay, what are you thinking? I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. What else do you need? I have been sent to you to tell you this good news. You think, you'd think that seeing an angel would be enough, but it's not. 
And, and then I, I, again, read between the lines. It's like the angel is saying, okay, you need a sign? You want a sign? You, you think you've got to have a sign? I'll give you a sign. I'll give you a sign. You will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens. Because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. You want a sign? I'll give you a sign. You're not going to be able to talk about this. Have you ever known a secret that you were sworn to secrecy, a surprise of some kind, something that you were sworn to secrecy and told you cannot tell anybody? And how, and had that, you know, and then and inside it just kind of, boy, you just got, you got to tell somebody, you know, so you, you hold on to it for a day or two, maybe even as much as a week, and then you just can't hold it anymore. So you go to somebody's going, I'm not supposed to tell you this, but. And, and don't tell anybody I told you this. You know, this is a secret. Nobody's supposed to know. And that's what happens. But, but Zechariah doesn't get that opportunity. I'm going to make sure. You're not going to be able to tell anybody. Can you imagine what it would have been like for Zechariah to come out of there, everybody look at him, and him trying to tell what happened inside there, and he can't even talk about it. You know, it's pantomime, you know, charades. I don't know. He says, you're going to be struck dumb. You want a, you, you want a sign? Here's the sign. You're not going to be able to talk for nine months. Which was a blessing to Elizabeth. But no. <laughs> That's another sermon. Um, and I think, I don't think it was just punishment. I think it was really about hope. Because a seed had been planted in his heart. A seed of faith, a seed of hope. And it was still, it was not coming true for another nine months. But at the same time that his wife had a baby growing and coming to a time of birth. So this was happening, I think, in Zechariah's life. This waiting of nine months. That this seed of hope had been planted. And for nine months, he couldn't talk about it with anybody, not even his wife. But God was doing something. And sometimes I think hope needs a gestation period. (laughs) That time between hope revealed and hope realized. And, and what we do is we get a picture of this because it, it's almost like he's been given a nine-month timeout. <laughs> and he sees this all happening. And, and when he is finally able to speak, when his baby is born, and everybody wants to name, what are you going to name the baby? What are you going to name? You know, that's what you do. What are you going to name the baby? And Elizabeth says, we're going to name him John. John, there's nobody, there's no Johns in your family. And the first words he's able to speak is, his name is John. And then he is allowed to speak. And and what comes out of his mouth is this prophetic word about what's going to happen. And you know know something's been happening in his heart for the last nine months. You know something's been happening to his hope this whole nine months. Because this is part of what he says. A new day from heaven will dawn upon us. It will shine on those living in darkness in the shadow of death. It will guide us into the path of peace. In other words, this is just the beginning. Hope has grown. With all of his questions, with all of his doubts, with all of his uncertainties, hope has grown. And he's able to speak, even though it's just at the birth of his son, and there's still a whole lot more to this story to come. He says, this is just the sunrise. This is just the beginning. And if you're here this morning, and you're struggling with hope, and you're dealing with something in your life, or, or you've given up on God because of a lost hope, or a disappointment in Him... 
Let the sun rise. Do not give up. Because with God, there is always, always hope. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Benicia, California.